welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Yes, it's a great pleasure to be here. I remember you speaking about kedging. Kedging has never left my vocabulary since. You fueled some prophecies with that. I can tell you, I've told some people they need to go kedging. Stop dredging, go kedging. Move yourself forward on the word of the Lord. It's fantastic. I'll never forget that. It was a great time. And good to be back here again. I just, uh, just Patty and I are sort of, we're constantly talking to each other while we're here because we're going like, oh, this is so familiar to us, you know, uh, heritage and um, uh, just the feeling. There's a very uh, authentic uh, grace that you have about yourselves and the way you worship and you, just the whole presentation of yourselves. So like, oh, I love this, you know. And uh, we're just loving being with you here tonight and feeling what we're feeling. I'll tell you what else I, I did notice, and it's a really uh, heartwarming thing, is um, you're, you're, you're um, how do I say this, you're Bible literate. You're Bible literate. Did you know that? That's a commendation on you. You know, sort of go, thanks, Fletch. <laughs> you, um, your pastor tells great in-depth story from the text, and you engage, and you know what it's about, and and then a young person's up there leading and holding an open Bible and uh, encouraging us. That's a great thing, you know. You know, um, Most of us just turn up to our iPhones to chapter whatever. And uh, there's a feeling here that uh, you've been around, you know the stories, and you can engage with the truth that's there. And that's, a, that's just a little overall sense I have. It's wonderful. So good to be here. Thank you for having us. Um, I've got a message that uh, uh, sort of relates to a a testimony uh, that I want to kind of push through fast. I don't know if there's a slide, maybe it didn't get there. It doesn't matter if it does or does, does or doesn't. Oh, it's there, there it is, yeah. Uh, the measure of faith, God who remembers an extraordinary prophetic journey and yours. Um, in the uh, early 80s, Patty and I were uh, asked to go to Vancouver and uh, we w- took up a church there um, that had had some uh, difficulties, and we were young, uh, just had just not long turned 30, and uh, we took over this church and led it through some processes, and, and it uh, really stabilized, and uh, it was a very satisfactory time of ministry for us, and uh, out of it we replanted and uh, put a Bible college, a whole bunch of things going on in there, and it was, a, it was just a great season for us in Vancouver, serving under the auspices of a man called Ern Baxter, Dr. W.J. Ern Baxter. And um, Ern had been a, uh, uh, a major teacher in the body of Christ, or was at the time, uh, with a, a history back in the healing movement days where he had been the stadium teacher, preacher, Bible teacher, alongside of a very, very famous um, healing evangelist who's kind of known as the kind of like the granddaddy of them all of that era back in the 40s and, and even in the 30s, but in the 40s uh, where um, uh, uh, with uh, uh, William Branham and um, Baxter at some point felt to disassociate and came back uh, to Vancouver and uh, planted a church and around 1957 planted a church in that, in that city. So out from that came a whole bunch of other churches. He raised up young men and they established churches. So by the time we get there, he's moved on, uh, but his legacy is in the area. And uh, it's still to this day, uh, many of the great churches have their roots in some way back to uh, his uh, ministry in that city over the years. And um, 
there we were kind of placed in amongst uh, these very senior men to us at the time. They were in their, they were about my age now then, you know, I'm only 22 now. Um, but uh, uh, 67, you know, um, that's how old I am. But they, those guys were like that there, you know, and they were approaching their, you know, what they're gonna do with the rest of their years. But they all had very uh, influential and I might say large churches in the area. And we were the kind of new ones on the block that knew Brother Earn as we called him, and um, one of them approached me and he said, you know, you seem to be right in there uh, with her, and could, do you think you could bring him back to the city and we can uh, reunite with him because he said, over the years we've all disassociated, we've all gone our own ways, and uh, we're feeling something um, that we need to reconnect and, and kind of reunite and get some um, something going in, in, in terms of uh, um, overcoming some issues that we've had and, and, and receive him back as our father, uh, our spiritual father in the Lord. And I said, well, I can only give him a call. So I did so and gave him a call and Ern said that he would come up and um, meet with these guys. And uh, uh, so, so long as I was there, he said, so long as you're there. So I don't know whether he was a little afraid of what his sons might do to him, but uh, that was okay. So he, he flew up and... Um, we had a, a meeting in one of the offices of one of these very wonderful senior men of the city, and they'd all gathered there, and I brought her in from the airport, and as we walked through the door, one of them stood up and threw his arms out and began to cry, my father, my father, and ran in on Pastor Ern and threw his arms around and hugged him and was weeping and saying, I'm so sorry for, for letting you fall out of my life. And So the emotion of that moment went around the room and all these old dudes were crying, you know. Um, old dudes crying. Sounds like a movie you could make. And uh, they, were all, they were all crying and reconciling and, and I'm sort of, sort of thinking, this, uh, you know, whether I should be here or not. Um, and uh, Ern, Ern sort of either knew my insecurity or shuffling backwards or something, but he slapped me on the thigh and uh, said to these guys, um, if you accept me, accept my dog whack like that and I was sort of like you know, you know I, was, I was the pup in the midst and um, I've got to say that in that uh, wonderful wonderful moment uh, we saw a healing stream um, come into those that fellowship of men um, he began to become their annual speaker at a minister's fraternal um, that he had established way back and uh, uh, right up until the end of his life he he uh, came back in and was reunited with his brothers. It was a wonderful reunion and restoration that I had a little part to play in. Um, and, uh, you know, it was kind of interesting. At that point, I was, uh, the church was growing, things were good, and these guys were receiving me, and I was getting a fair bit of kudos around the place, and it was, it was a lovely thing. And, of course, with Pastor Ern all involved with us, it was lovely. So uh, then I was asked to come back or go back to Australia, and, um, you know, that was like, uh, I'm a Kiwi, by the way. I just need to establish that after last night. Um, I bleed black, you know. Okay, so I come from Manurewa. Um, it's okay, it's okay. But anyway, at that stage, we were headquartered in Australia, so I was asked to go back to Australia. And uh, that was a difficult shift to think about, but, you know, there's always that trick you always play. You say, they, they say to you, whoever they are, pray about it, you know, pray about it. And so we did, and God said, you need to go back. And he gave me two texts. He gave us two texts. One is, why sit you here when your brothers go to war? That sounded rather ominous. 
It's in the uh, book of Deuteronomy when Ephraim chose to, uh, on the other side of Jordan, to keep their land there rather than go in into what was typically known as the promised land. And uh, Joshua said, well, you can come back here, but why sit you here when your brothers go to war? So that has a whole other meaning. That's another sermon for another time. But um, the other text was... um, I was uh, seeking God, praying, and through various means and ways, as God speaks, um, was from Jeremiah 32. And in Jeremiah 32, you won't turn it up, but in Jeremiah 32, um, the Lord comes to Jeremiah in the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. There's a date, bang. Uh, The 10th year of Zedekiah, 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. And he says to Jeremiah, your cousin's going to come and tell you to buy a block of land, and... um, you're to buy this land, it's called Anathoth. Anathoth means answered prayer. So already the prophetic people in the meeting are, are catching the metaphor, buy, buy the field of answered prayer. So uh, that's okay, except the city was under siege and uh, the Chaldeans were about to take it, take it out and uh, God had stopped warning them that this would happen and then giving them space to repent. He's now kind of stepping back and saying, okay, let, let consequence let consequence happen. For all that unfaithfulness, let consequence happen, but I still have a plan. Now you've got to surrender to the Chaldeans, and they're going to cart you off, or you're going to be in exile for the, the amount of years of your unfaithfulness, for 70 or so years, and, um, and he actually said you're going to prosper there. This wasn't like the, the captivity, uh, sorry, the, the, the slavery in Egypt, where they were slaves and under the thumb um, and uh, crying out. Uh, th- they were going to go into exile, and, and eventually they would prosper. They would assimilate into the economy. They would do well there, and God said that they would. Um, but, they, but they needed to surrender to this consequence, which was uh, the Chaldeans taking over. And in, in, the, in the throes of all this, God says to Jeremiah, your cousin is coming to tell you to buy a block of land called the field of answered prayer. You know, if the Chaldeans are laying siege on you, start buying into the field of answered prayer. So the biblical literate people will make much of that and go and preach a sermon around the country with it. But anyway, he says this, when he comes, get the title deeds and bury one in an earthen jar which will last a long time. And the other one, lodge in the archives, probably in the temple area somewhere. The idea was, of course, and they, they would bury this title deed in their land. You know that Proverbs Jesus said, if a man, uh, the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure hidden in a field. Uh, this, this is what's behind that. It's the same uh, kind of culture and practice. And so they buried title deeds in the land so that if they ever did get overrun or ever there was a, a land dis, uh, dispute, they could come back, dig up their title deeds, match it with the one in the archives, and things were settled. It was theirs. So God told them to do this. Now, keeping in the story um, of Jeremiah for a moment before it comes back to me, um, uh, there's, a, uh, there's a siege on, and, you know, why would you buy anything, you know? The Chaldeans are probably already squatting on your land or occupying your land uh, that you're about to buy. I mean, it, the only advantage would be it would be a buyer's market, you know. Uh, the prices would down, uh, get this. But there's another thing underneath this story as well. This is amazing. The other thing is simply this, that there's a thing called uh, the law of redemption. And in the law of redemption, it was this, that if you had to uh, sell your block of land, you, you, you really only sold it on something akin to what we would call a 99-year lease, and uh, you, it eventually had to be bought, bought 
B-O-U-G-H-T, brought back into the family, um, and that was called redeeming, redeeming that land. It would, it would never forever be, uh, belong to another uh, tribe or family. It had to be brought back by a, a relative, a close relative, and so when it says your cousin is coming, when the Lord says to Jeremiah in this prophetic awakening on the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, the 10th year of Zedekiah, uh, uh, this guy's coming, he's your cousin, he's gonna ask you to buy his block of land. There's another element to this, it is that you have an obligation if you can. And so Jeremiah hangs out and waits for him. Guess what? On the very day that God said, the cousin turns up and says, you want to buy a block of land? You know my field out at Anathoth? It's, it's, you know, the right, and he says this, the right of redemption and the right of possession is yours. Redemptive rights. The right of inheritance, one translation says, and the right of redemption is yours. And then Jeremiah, because it actually happened exactly as the Lord had said, said, thus I knew this is the word of the Lord. Now there's a little bit of a mixed up, mixed emotion feeling and he's going up to God saying, what? And God declares himself and he says, nothing is too difficult for me. Nothing. I shall again bring you back to this land. Houses and lands and vineyards shall be bought in this place and I will do you good and for the good of you and for the good of your children I will bring you again back into this land call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things you know that it flows into chapter 33 where it's that verse that's so well uh, well known and if you look at the way the word good comes up through 32 and 33 you, you get the feeling God was sprinkling into this time of consequence a hope and a future the Redeemer was speaking He says, I'm going to make mileage out of this. This is not going to be a a, a complete loss. It's going down to a a sharp point in history where eventually the Messiah will come, where the Redeemer will come. And I'm shepherding you even though you go off the track. This happens. I'm going to bring it all down to the Redeemer and I'm not going to let my plans get thwarted and you're in the plan. That's the big story. On the other side of that story, it comes down to the person Jesus, of course. And then out from Jesus comes all the redemption of all humankind should they turn to him and say, Lord Jesus, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's our redeemer. So in the, in the throes of that grand meta-narrative, here's, here's Jeremiah having this prophetic moment. And here's me praying, Lord, I, I, you know, should I go back? And he says, why sit you here? And then he says, you shall again come back to this land. Houses and land and vineyards shall again be bought in this place. For the good of you and for the good of your children, you shall, again. So I'm hearing God. Do you ever find yourself in the story when you're reading it? You know, it's about them, but it's about you. And you you, you somehow begin to identify, this is now shooting into your heart for you. And that's how it was. So I surrendered to the moment, and uh, Patty and I did, and uh, we went back to Australia. Okay, time goes by. (laughs) A lot of time. We came back in 87. Uh, 2001, we get off the plane in Vancouver. So how many years is that? Oh, yeah, whatever. 1920, is it? I don't know. I can't do the maths on my head that quick. I'm an old guy now. I forget my name sometimes when I wake up. There you go. It was 87 we went back, so it's 24 years. Anyway, you're all wrong. <laughs> Just takes my little machine a little longer. You know, it's the old shh, click, 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 and the numbers come up. 
24 years later, thereabouts. No, Patty's shaking her head. I'm getting off that and going on with the story, taking up valuable time. So you need to be quicker than that, love. So, so we get off the plane in 2001 after having been back in Australia since um, 1987. And this time I'm there because um, Pastor Phil Pringle had approached me and he said, you know, we know you've had experience in Canada before and um, we would like to uh, establish our movement over there. Would you go back to Canada? And, you know, he, you know when, he looked, when he looked at my face, he said, pray about it. You know, the old trick. I presented it to some close intercessors, just joined with us making a big decision. Is there a Blanche in the room? Because Sister Blanche in Australia is a euphemism for intercessor that will never fail you. And, and Sister Blanche came to me. She says, Graham, um, I've been praying on that thing that you're not telling us the details about making a decision, and I've got a word for you. And it's Jeremiah 32. And the right of inheritance and the right of possession is yours. Because <sighs> I knew where the rest of the text went. You shall again come to this land. You and your children, I'll do you good there. So there began a prophetic journey. Coming through to just two years ago, we've been, we had established the church, we've, uh, we were in a movie theater, we didn't have a building for 18 years, uh, life was uh, exciting, challenging, and we were in a very downtown, um, gritty situation where we were, we just felt that was the bullseye uh, for where we were to be. People said you should actually move out to the suburbs, you'll get a bigger church quicker. But you know, you've gotta be faithful to your word, and it's, it's, it, that's the important thing for me at least. And so we stuck in that downtown uh, zone uh, and, and did what we did and grew a church. But out of it, uh, others came, there's a movement now. I, I wouldn't say I did everything about that, but there's a, a strong movement now across the, the city, uh, uh, the city too, and uh, in Australia, uh, sorry, Canada, see how, how it is when you get old, uh, across Canada. And um, uh, we, we're doing very well as a, as a movement in C3 in that country, and we're satisfied that God has fulfilled His word. But I was feeling like this building thing, you know, houses and lands and this sort of thing would, has, had, had a bit more to it. And um, I, 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 we, we were kind of saying we need to get into more um, a situation where we can do more, um, spread out, uh, run Bible college, all those kinds of things that we used to do years ago, and uh, we thought it was time for a building, okay? I was watching TV one night, and um, it was so boring. 500 channels, nothing. <laughs> Cable TV, North America. And the guy had sent me a YouTube, uh, a local pastor, an Anglican guy. He said, you've got to see this, Fletch. And oh, I thought, oh, well, so I threw it up on the Apple TV, psh, comes up. And um, it's these two um, archaeologists in Israel, current, uh, working in a dig under the Western Wall, and they've got those little miner's hat light things on, you know, and they're inside the dig, and one guy turns to the other with his light shining in his face, he says, I'm very excited to be at this spot because somewhere around here, um, we're, we're touching the very stones that David would have touched. And the other guy turns to the other guy, and he goes, I'm looking around here because this would have to be near the location where Jeremiah's title deeds would be. Because when he said that, I thought, that wasn't in the Bible till it was put in there for me on that. <laughs> Way back, 
to go back to Australia and then to come back to Canada on that text. He's talking about this thing. And I call Patty out of the bedroom. You've got to watch this. We back it up. Show. It's like, so, you know. I said, every time that text comes, something happens. I call it, borrowing a phrase from Brueggemann, lingering text with exploding words. And um, bam. I said, something's going to happen. Do you know, like within a week, or so, we get, a, we get a legacy left to the church for a building fund of $500,000. But the interesting thing, it's an inheritance. The right of inheritance is yours. And, and it seemed like this is getting weird now, but wonderful. So we went out on the hunt for a building. And um, I tracked one down. It was a three-story commercial building. And um, we'd had gone through a number of buildings and the city hall said, no, 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 com no commercial buildings are going to be rezoned for church. They said, we actually have a policy that churches will not uh, change the zones. Of, uh, you know, and, and I said, but what authority zone for, for assembly? They said, it can be assembly for something else, but not for church. And they said to us, we know what churches do. You're going to come in as a school. Uh, I thought, oh man, all the guys are gone before us, you know, there's not left us a good, you know. So they said, your only hope is to go and get yourself a church that exists, that hasn't had its zone tampered with. So we go looking. You just don't get a lot of churches on the market. In fact, the church people that have churches on the market, they sell them to investors because the land is so, uh, such a good you know, income. They get millions out of this thing where people have prayed and sacrificed and sought God and had a prophetic journey and secured that land. You know, the intercessors cried all night and the money came through and this happened and people gave sacrificially every Sunday for five or six years and laid down a deposit and they prayed that thing through. This is going back like 100 years or 50 years. And nowadays they're selling them off. You can tell I'm happy about this. And we couldn't get a building. So we had at least 500 grand in the bank and some more because we had a building fund. So I see this building that I'd known Pastor Ern Baxter had been in back in the 50s. It's a commercial looking building, doesn't look like a church. And that Australia's, sorry, Canada's richest man had. Um, gone dollar for dollar to help him get into as a support for his ministry. He's a Pentecostal man, still alive, by the way. And um, I knew about that, but when I drove up Broadway, I saw big signs on it saying commercial space for, for rent. And I thought, well, that's, that's not going to help me because the city hall has already said, don't go there. But something about it being Pastor Ern's old place intrigued me. And so we, uh, we made some investigations, got a key, went in up into it, and the, the land agent wanted us to see the floors that they had all brought up to specs for commercial use, and I'm, I was saying, no, I want to go higher, you know. Uh, there's got to be a metaphor in there somewhere. I want to go up, you know, and, uh, and so finally, he said, well, it's all locked up. We, we haven't touched, they, the owners haven't touched that. They haven't brought it up to specs, and uh, it's just like, don't touch they're not putting any more money into this place. And I said, yeah, because it's probably got a demolition clause on it, right? He says, yeah, 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 yes, it has. And I said, well, that doesn't scare me. Just take me up. So we got in, looked through, and it had carpet older than yours and in much less good condition. 
Don't ever get rid of this. This is out of the, this is price. Look at the condition. It's magnificent. This is heritage now. Don't you tamper with it. But the carpet that we had, had to be, you know, well, the carpet that I walked in, it stank. It was a teal green. I better not go down those tracks. But this place had been locked up. It was asbestos walls, like everything about it. Like, uh, and it had, it, it, well, it didn't have this. What it had was a stage that sort of came halfway out almost into the, into the auditorium where people sat. So people sat nearly in the round around it. And then it had choir loft. Because in those days they had a great revelation of David's tabernacle and there were the singers you know, and this pulpit. So I looked at this and I thought, boy, this is interesting. I went down to see the owners of the place with a couple of guys. And when we walked in there, they sat us around at a boardroom table and said, what are you doing here? In the sense that they knew that I was a pastor and I was basically saying, we've got nothing to offer you. And uh, I said, well, I am really interested in the top floor of the building on Broadway. And they said, well, we're not, we're not going to do anything with it. We've locked it up, we're not putting any more investment. And besides, it's got a demo clause on it. And I said, yeah, well, what, what property hasn't in, in Vancouver? You'll drop a 10-year building, 10-year-old building, to put another one up because the market is so raging through the roof. And uh, they said, oh, you're, you're, you're right. And I said, so you can at least give me 10 years in there, right? And they said, well, yes, but why would you want that place? You know? And I said, it's not, you know, it's not so much, I uh, turned the thing around, I said, it's not so much that I want it, because I do, uh, uh, I said, you want me in there. And they said, why do you say that, that we want you in there? And I said, because nobody else can take that building, the top of that building, if you've left it under the church zone that it always had, but a church. And they said, yeah, well, we haven't tampered with that. You haven't touched anything? No. So I said, we're your people. We're your people. We can do this. And um, I'm thinking I've got 500 grand plus more in the bank account of the church that would tide us through a five-by-five five lease under the conditions that we were seeking. And, um, and they sort of said, well, you know, uh, why don't you buy? And I said, well, in this city, I don't think there's any chance that we're going to buy. But I said, if you are going to drop that building, put in a dedicated floor for us and you've got us for a long, long time. And these guys ended up going, wow, okay. Or more Canadian, okay. <laughs> and uh, you know, you gotta know I'm not a negotiator. I can't fight my way out of a brown paper bag. And um, so they said, well, what have we gotta do to get you in there? I said, well, give me these really good terms on the lease and put an elevator in there. I said, a, a, no self-respecting church in this stage uh, is without accessible, uh, you know, serving accessible needs and so on, accessible needs. And so they said, okay, we'll do that. And so we're, we're in there right now. That's where we are. We're in that building. You can clap to Jesus on that one if you like. But that's, a, that, but, but, you know. <laughs> you shall again come into this land for the good of you and your children. And... Um, it was a very moving thing because we started this negotiation and Patty and I had a holiday booked in Italy. And so we went ahead with it and uh, just kept in touch with everything on, on uh, FaceTime. And while we were in Italy, God spoke to me. I feel God spoke to me. And uh, just in reading and 
relaxing and hearing from God. And in Zechariah chapter 9 is my text tonight, 12 to 13. And the word is, return to your stronghold, O prisoner of hope. Today I declare I will restore to you double, for I have bent Judah as my bow, and I've made Ephraim its arrow. I came back with that on my heart, talked to the church, we finished the negotiation, everything went through, and I felt like the Lord was saying, I'm bringing you back to a stronghold of hope. Something that, it's not about the building or even the space, but it is. It's more than that. It's about the prophecies and prayers and promises that a former generation had engaged with in seeking God, sacrificing to, and coming up with this amazing building that looks right out over the city and the mountains. It's the most staggering view. It is a a multi-million dollar view, I can tell you, right outside my office. Amazing. God says, I will restore to you double. So we went through this negotiating, n- negotiation and um, on the night uh, we took possession, we moved some guys in and we started renovating very quickly. We had to get the asbestos people in to fix all that out, take all that out, got going on the building. And uh, I've been up helping the crew and uh, as I'm leaving the building one night, I was sort of pointing back to the, uh, where the altar was and uh, the, the pulpit, and I said, look, uh, you know, just, just while you're cracking open walls and things around here, if you find anything of heritage value, don't pocket it. Uh, we'll put it in a glass case in the church, something, you know. And, I, and uh, then I get a call as I, just after I left the building. You see this little picture up here, um, the measure of faith. A little booklet had been placed in under the original pulpit. So you know how... Christians do funny little things like put Bibles in the concrete or, you know, you know little metal from Rome or something. And uh, uh, this, they'd put this, uh, that was a joke, by the way, but not didn't go over. And the, <laughs> this, they, they'd put, sorry, says, they'd put this booklet at the beginning in 1957 when Ern finished his doing the stadium thing and associating with William Branham and came back to take up and, and develop this local pastorate from which so many of his sons had been birthed and, and uh, had influenced this whole area. They put in the pulpit of that church this little blue booklet, which was um, a transcript of a message he gave in Blomfontein a stadium in South Africa when the spirit fell and people got healed under his great preaching. And uh, they had taken it, taken the transcript, made a little book, stuck it in under the pulpit. And here we were that many years. Don't get me to calculate this. It won't happen. But, you know, from 57 through to uh, 2018, there or 2017 when we took possession, uh, there it is. You should be able to work it out. It's got a zero in there. But there, there it is. This book comes up and the, the, build, the, 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 the team in there, the demo team, call me up and I come up and it's like when they hand me this book, I felt like Pastor Ern, a former mentor, handing me saying, the baton is yours. Start running. That's why I'm an old guy still doing what I'm doing. <sighs> Look at that thing. Wow. This is Legacy. Then I remember, return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope, for today, today I will restore to you double. For I've bent Judah as my bow and made Ephraim its arrow. 
Let me give you a little play on words that's in that text that maybe you just didn't see because it gets lost in the translation. I will restore to you double. It says return. Let me just get it right for you. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. I will restore to you double. Play on words. First of all, they're exactly the same word, return and restore. So it's the double use of a word. Just by context, one is that we return. That's our operative thing. We return to the Lord based on something. And when we do, He will restore. God's operative word is He will respond and restore. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope, and I will return. So the double use of a word. And then he says, I will restore to you double. Now, double is not quantitative uh, in, in essence in this text. Double is it's prophetic speech. It's shorthand. It's shorthand for, the listen, the laws of restitution which is closely associated to the laws of redemption. Back in Leviticus 21 or wherever it is, back there somewhere. The laws of restitution says something like this. If you've got something uh, given to you and it gets destroyed, damaged while it's in your care or stolen while it's in your care, you have to pay double back to the person that it belongs to. And the idea is simply something like this. You pay for the value of the thing that was damaged or lost at... um, yeah, you know, like new for old value, and um, you pay the value of the thing that was lost plus the value of its use of time and what it would have produced. So it's like payback with back pay. That's why he says, I will restore to you double. That's where that word double really comes into its own in the uh, scriptural understanding, and that's what the prophets leaned on back there in the law. And when the Lord says, I will restore to you double, he's saying, I'm enacting now the laws of restitution. Then the text goes on, for I have made Judah as my bow and I've made Ephraim as my arrow. And Ephraim, double fruitfulness, that's what it means, literally double fruitfulness. We've got a, we got a coffee chain in Canada um, called Tim Hortons. You're not a Canadian unless you drink Tim Hortons, you know? It's better for its apple fritters and Canadian maple donut, but when you go to Tim Hortons, there's a code. It comes up on all the, air, the ads for it. And uh, if you want, the, you go and say, I'll have, a, I'll have a double. That just means two squirts of cream in your coffee. You can go in and say, I'll have a double-double. That's two squirts of cream and two teaspoons of sugar. And you see guys roll up at the window, double-double, you know. It's a code. And here the Lord says, where he's got a double use of a word, get, get the, the prophetic play on words, a double use of the word. He mentions the word double itself, which is, uh, you know, like I said, prophetic speech, code for the laws of restitution. And then he says, Judah is my bow, and uh, Ephraim, a double-double, is in the bow. Now when an arrow is in the bow, it means now. This is the moment. Ha <laughs> ha. Just think of this. The archer has all these arrows in his little quiver. And uh, he might be a hunter or a soldier, an, uh, you know, an archer. And uh, he, when, when his hand comes over to the quiver to take those arrows that are sitting 
waiting in the darkness of the quiver to use them. All the little arrows look up and they go, oh, pick me, pick me. Yes, yes, pick me, pick me. And, and the hand comes down and when he picks somebody else, they all go, oh. The guy takes the arrow out. You know. But there comes the day when the hand comes over on your word, on you, on your promise. I'm going there fast. On your prophecy, on the thing that God has caused you to have hope in, about your future, where God has spoken concerning you and into your prophetic journey of life. And that hand comes over and he picks up you, and your word. And you go, ah, it's me, it's me. And he puts double, double into the bow. Now watch my body language. He puts it into the bow. When you start loading up an arrow, it's a bit like when you cock a gun. Don't point it at anybody. He puts it into the bow and he stretches it back. He puts it under tension, under more tension. And that little arrow that went, oh, good, he's going, uh, I'm feeling the pressure. It must be close. And the Lord with you in his bow, goes, <laughs> and he goes, I'm going to die. <laughs> and it's around that maximum tension that the archer goes, <laughs> now it's a hair trigger situation. It's under full tension. It's time has come. This is the moment. Today I declare, says the Lord, I will restore to you double, <laughs> It just takes one little movement of that hand and under full tension, that thing is shooting down to hit the mark. This is the day. And you're in church tonight, I'm telling you. Zechariah comes along 70 plus years later than Jeremiah. He comes along and there are promises. You shall again come back to this land. The right of inheritance and the right of redemption is yours. For you and your children, I will do your good. Somebody steal this prophecy here tonight. You and your children. You've got title deeds in the Word of God. You've got title deeds in the promises and the prophecies and the visions you've had and the things that God has spoken to you about over many years. I'm here tonight, I believe, just a little bit acting out the Zechariah bit now because Zechariah comes when the bow's now in full tension to say, this is the time. Now is the moment. And Zechariah's name means God remembers God remembers. He remembers that date in 1986 when God said to me, out of Jeremiah 32, you shall again come back to this land. He remembers that date when Sister Blanche, the all-time quintessential, stereotypical mother in Israel, Intercessor says to me, I've got a word for you, Jeremiah 32. He remembers that little wake-up call not that too many years ago when I was watching a couple of 
dudes discussing and one refers to Jeremiah 32. God watches over his word to perform it, people. And he's here, I believe, tonight by the Holy Spirit. And I'm here, hopefully, sort of a little bit like a, a Zechariah saying, I'm telling you, God remembers. And it's not in the way off, it's now. Today, I declare. Oh, prisoners of hope, you're a prisoner of your call. Some of you people came to Hamilton because God spoke to you about coming to Hamilton. You shifted house and home. You left jobs. Some of you have, have had that experience where, you know, the call of God is the call to inconvenience. It just doesn't ask your permission. He just interrupts your life. And you've come with a, a certain degree of hope because of the call of God. And in, in, in that call is a word, a promise a sense that God has got something ahead of you for this. He didn't bring you here to die. He brought you here today. You're a prisoner of hope. You're a prisoner of the journey that God has led you on. You know, you, you know Jesus had a, a situation with his disciples where the, the multitudes were leaving him, and he turns to his disciples and says, do you want to go too? Now, Jesus wasn't getting insecure and getting fearful. What he was actually doing, more or less, is saying, you know, the door is open right now because where I'm going, and if you're going to come with me, it's not going to be that easy. But their answers were, you know, we've got nowhere else to go. I think I felt a little bit like that with our journey. We've got nowhere else to go. People say, you know, I get a letter every now and again. You know, we really loved you at that pastor's conference. We loved you when you came and preached, you know, blah, blah, blah. Our elders would like to put forward an opportunity for you to take uh, our church. Would you come and take our church and be the pastor of our church, you know? And, and uh, here's the income and here's the opportunities. And, you know, you go, oh, wah! No. I'm a prisoner of the journey. I've come thus far with this. I can't just let go. Now, I will, because I'm not saying it's all dependent on me, but until God speaks, I'm a pr I've got nowhere else to go with where I've come. You know, some of you are like that here. You've journeyed long and faithful. You're a prisoner of hope. You're believing. You've heard messages from this pulpit over decades. You've heard prophets declare. You've heard things about the land, and this this is your house of prayer. This is your place where you enact that faithfulness toward that great end. Keep believing, I'm telling you, prisoner of hope. You're a prisoner of prophecies. You're a pr prisoner of pro uh, promises. You're a prisoner of the sent word that sent you. You're a prisoner of the word of God itself, the Bible, because you've come into a real understanding and knowledge and belief and faith in the absolute integrity of God. And you're, you're living out your faithfulness and your faith. And this is your home. This is your place to stand strong. As our Maori folks say, this is your Taranga Waiwai. This is where you, you sense that, that God has given you the, 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 the place of stance of, of knowing who you are and where you're going. And you're a prisoner of hope. Hope. and everything's beating against you to tell you this or that or give you another opportunity you're a prisoner of hope if you've got a godly heritage too you know one of the things that helped me in my coming back to the Lord one of the things that stopped me from going right off the path as a as a young teenager was just simply there was a heritage factor of being raised by a great Christian dad who influenced my life so deeply that when I got up to nonsense there was this reservation in me like 
how far are you going to go? You're going to hurt dad. Barry and Gail Waller in the meeting here somewhere, they knew my dad. Wonderful people from my past. There you go. Barry's the fruit. <laughs> but you see, you come to something in your life, in the journey of life, and you're a prisoner because God has got you captivated by his word and promise. So I want to just uh, get you to stand with me right now, people. Because I want to declare today, today, this day, the Lord will restore to you that which is yours by promise and by prophecy, by the hope that's in you through believing in his word. Let's just look up to the Lord for a few minutes. I just want to facilitate a little moment and then hand it over. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray right now that you will awaken in people a wonderful sense that you're speaking just to them that the God who remembers is coming back upon his word and his truth, coming back into their hope. Lord, they've come up to their stronghold of faith. In this preaching, I pray, Lord, that there will be a renewed heart to believe for, for the good of them and their children. Things again will be transacted. Ownership will become. Lost inheritances will be received. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you are our Redeemer. You are the one who buys back and gives back that which is ours. I'm praying, oh God, that all that's in the field of Anathoth, the field of answered prayer, all that's in that field in this house of these praying people, that, Lord, this is the time the, 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 the exile is over. That, Lord, today I declare in the Holy Spirit that there shall be a release of the word. The arrow goes out of the bow, double, double. You will restore double. That, God, things will begin to move in hearts and lives, houses and homes families, situations, circumstances, relationship. Something will go from this word like an arrow out of a hair trigger situation of the tension that they've been under and immediately, God, you'll begin to answer that testimony after testimony after testimony will be heard that God has done something that in the declaration of his word, I heard the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, the prisoner of hope. Ha. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.